and move on to these other verses. We're looking at the mockers of the last days. The Bible has made it very clear that this is, and basically by the use of the word that is involved, this is specific to the last days. It's different. It's unusual. It's, and we can see it's actually more extensive and intensive than ever before. And so what do we look for? And how do we deal with it? Because the question about theology is how then shall we live? It's not just what can I cram into my head to make me smarter. It's what do I do with what I cram into my head. We should keep cramming it in there as long as we got room. What? What? Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. In any event, we are supposed to learn God's word in order to live God's word. And that's very clear throughout all of scripture, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So, before we begin, it's important that we take just a moment for silent prayer. It's uh, important to put all the cares and pressures and problems of the world and the Oklahoma State massive defeat last night at the hands of South Alabama. Uh, Put all that behind us and decide that we're going to concentrate on the Word of God. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you for your matchless grace, your endless love. Father, we thank you for the blessings and the tests that you have poured out upon us. Father, we thank you for your amazing Word. And we are always fascinated that as we dig into it more, we find more and more because you are the infinite God revealing yourself to finite finite humans. And Father, I just pray that uh, this morning we'll be able to better understand and be able to grasp, be able to remember and be able to use these words of yours this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been looking at Second Peter chapter 3. And again, this is, this is about mockers and the mockers that come in the last days. And I'm going to read from verse 3. And this uh, CTLT is a corrected translation, literal translation. So I'm giving you the Greek words in the transliterated state, the, the Greek words, what makes it say this. And so that's why it is corrected and it is literal. That's the intention of the translations. Now, in verse 3, it says, Knowing this, first of all, that during the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. So, these are mockers that are basically driven by their sin nature. They have a lust pattern of their, of their being, and that basically is what driving driving them. You can can't classify the lust pattern as fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. Uh, Chuck Swindoll did that for Major Temptations of Man, and I stole it about 40 years ago from him. And I just thought, this just kind of describes it. What what drives us? Fame, we want to be well-known, well-respected, and all that. Fortune, a lover, money is the root of all kinds of evil. Power, why do people with more money than they can possibly imagine or ever spend, what do they want next? Power, and what do they do with it? Pleasure. The latest meeting of the World Economic Forum, they had uh, they had prostitutes coming in from all parts of the globe 
to take care of the people that were coming in to talk about all this money. So it's not hard to show that we're in the last days, and I think the the exclus the, the difference is is that it is more widespread than it ever has been, and it's more intensive than it ever has been. And we can lay part of that at the internet and and uh, media and the televisions and all that. My internet went nuts last night. I don't know if yours did or not. But I couldn't check the mail on my AOL account. And then sudden panic set in. Because I thought, what have I missed? You know, you've been there <laughs> before. And then then I thought, eh, it's in the Lord's hands. Maybe this is this is it. And I uh, woke up this morning. It's all fine. Everything working again. Just, just like normal. And verse 4, it says, and they're saying, now here's the main argument. Where is the promise of his coming? He says, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Now this is basically a reference to evolutionary theory. And so he's saying that people are saying that there is no God, that matter has always been here, the universe has always existed, and as a result we just came as an accident out of the chaos and suddenly developed a a complex thinking moving being. It just happened by chance and by accident. Now he's saying, well, where's the promise of his coming? Oh, this his is obviously the Lord who said that he was going to come back. And we have people even in the evangelical community today that, that, that don't believe that the Lord is going to return, literally and physically. And they have, and it's that population within the church is growing. They don't believe he's going to come back. Some believe that he might come back once we get everything fixed for a thousand years at the end of the millennial kingdom, then he might come back. But the book I read says he's going to be sitting on the throne during the millennial kingdom. So if you don't believe the Bible, you can believe anything. But if you believe the Bible, you've got a framework that you can go by. So it says, when they are desiring this, verse 5, this is where we left off, It escapes their notice that by the word of the God, and again, this is written in a uh, Greek community, so there's a whole lot of gods, so he puts a definite article in there by the word of the God. The heavens kept on being long ago. Okay, So they've, they've been around for a while. And the earth was formed out of water and by water. Now, we, we got through the first two points of the summary here. And the false teachers in view accept evolution while denying dogmatic spiritual statements. Genesis 1.1 is, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Bereshit bara Elohim hashemayim wahaaretz. Just did that to impress you. That's the Hebrew of Genesis 1.1. Now, <clears throat> bara is a, to create something out of nothing. Something only God can do. John 1, 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being by Him. So Jesus has always existed, and that's what the Bible asserts. So they're saying, well, if He did come to earth, and then He left, and said He was coming back, where is He? Because it's been way too long in man's estimation. This position clearly denies divine creation and restoration. 
And hence, by doing that, they deny the inspiration of the Bible. See, evolution doesn't even have to make a statement that they don't believe the Bible to be true. Just by their very theory, they're asserting that the Bible is not true. So, <clears throat> what happened? Genesis 1.1. We talked, talked about this last week. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. He created it out of nothing. Okay? And then we have the fall of Satan. Somewhere after that original creation. Because people argue over this all the time. And it's ridiculous, the arguments that they, they come up with. But when Satan showed up in the Garden of Eden, he was a fallen creature already. How long was Adam and Eve in the Garden before he showed up? I don't think very long. Why? Because Adam and Eve would have been making babies. Huh. Because they knew how to do it. They knew what the animals were doing. They knew how to accomplish such thing. And their primary command was be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's in Genesis 1 before they ever show up. So that was their job. And what would have happened if they would have produced an offspring prior to the fall? They'd have had a perfect offspring. And then you'd have had a bunch of little Adams running around. And potentially a bunch of little Jesuses running around. I don't think they were in the garden very long. Now, could God withhold that from them? Absolutely. Knowing what would happen, no problem there. But I don't think they were in there very long. So Satan was already fallen. When did it happen? How did it happen? Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 14, are the five I wills of Satan. This is classically understood that this is the arrogance of Satan saying, I will be. And didn't he say, I will be like the Most High? That means that he wasn't. He realized it. Who was the first evolutionist? Satan. I will be. I will ascend to the Mount of Olympus in the recesses of the north. I will be is what he said. So these were statements of arrogance that, that he made. Now Ezekiel 28, and if you go to verse 11, <clears throat> you find there that it starts talking about the king of Tyre. And he was the actual power behind the throne of the Prince of Tyre, which was a little island nation off the coast of, of uh, Israel. And he was, they became anti-Semitic. Ezekiel 26 to 28 talks about this particular king, uh, or this Prince of Tyre. But the King of Tyre was the power behind the throne, and it describes him as, you were the anointed cherub that covers. It says you were an angel. You're a special angel. That covers is a word that takes us to the Ark of the Covenant. You were in the throne room of God. You were perfect from the day that you were created. You were full of wisdom. You were perfect in beauty. This is a description of Satan, not a human being that is in there. And it describes, he said, And you were all this until sin was found in you. When did this happen? I believe prior to mankind coming into existence. When he fell, there was a judgment on the earth. There was a judgment laid on the earth. And then what we find in Genesis 1-3, because Genesis 1-2 says, and the earth became formless and void, and darkness was on the surface of the deep. Now, <clears throat> the earth was, meaning that God created it, formless and void, 
or the earth became. Meaning he made it that way. Well, if you look at Isaiah 45, 18, it says he didn't create it by wrath, formless. So if he didn't create it that way, it had to become that way. And so in between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, you have a, a gap of what we call time. But I don't think time was measured the way we measure time back then. But it's a period of time and Satan was the ruler uh, the indication he was on earth because of Isaiah 14. He was giving from a perspective of him being on earth. So anyway, he fell and earth was restored. Okay, Darkness was on the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, this is where we left off. We've already done one and two, as I mentioned. The restoration of the earth after the fall of Satan. Water was a major factor on the first three days. And you start looking at water. I I was asked to critique an analysis by a pastor in Barbados um, that asked he had done some stuff on Genesis 1 and 2. Um, some friends of ours got him uh, one of the Genesis books in the back. I don't know that he's read it or not, but he said, I just would like for you to take a look at what I have done on these two chapters. <clears throat> and I thought, oh, okay. So sat down yesterday in between, just before the football game started. <laughs> My priorities right. <laughs> and I sat down and started going through that. And he pointed some stuff out. And as many times as I've been through Genesis, it's amazing about the word. When you think you might know it all, you find out you really don't. And he pointed out something to me that was fascinating that that I had never picked up on. The land and the water were already there. They weren't created. Hmm. That stops and makes you think. Now, if the land and the water were already there, how'd they get there? Because they were part of the original earth. And the Spirit of God, Ruach, Ruach Elohim, was moving, and it is the word Rakaf that is used there. Rakaf is a word used only three times. They bring it in as moving, uh, hovering, whatever. It's used in Deuteronomy 32.11 of an eagle that is covering her young. And it is used of a, of, a, of a bird that is brooding over the eggs, warming the eggs and keeping them, them ready. It's used in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23.9, the other usage of a shaking that comes from a fever. So what this word appears to clearly mean is it involves a warming and it involves a shaking. And that's what the Spirit of God did over the surface of the deep, indicating that it was probably encased in ice. The water was already there. And as you read further in Genesis 1, you find out more about the water and the land are already there as part of the original creation. And they were being restored as part of this this new restoration. <clears throat> in verses 6 to 8 of chapter 1, there's the establishment of a vapor canopy. The waters above and the waters below. <clears throat> and it indicates that prior to the flood that there was just a, uh, uh, that's what it was. it was, it was a greenhouse effect. 
uh, seems to be quite clearly. Uh, Joseph Dillow did a book called uh, The Waters Above a long time ago, and he, uh, being an engineer of several different uh, kinds and, and um, graduate of DTS and all this other stuff, calculated what would be, need to be done in order to have an environment where all you have is a dew that comes up and waters the earth. And he calculated the outer part of the canopy, what the temperatures would be, the inner part of the canopy. He calculated what it would have to be on earth, and the temperature couldn't change but about 3 to 4 degrees every day in order for that to happen. Now that's God putting this planet into an equilibrium unlike we can ever imagine. Uh, and it, it, he did it. I've got some other theories that go with that, but I won't bore you with those uh, right right now. But it seems like that maybe we were in a circular orbit around the sun and not an elliptical one. Seems like maybe that the axis of the earth was parallel to the axis of the sun. Because otherwise you get, you get a differential in cooling and heating. You get wind current set up. When you get wind current set up, you get rain. So what really happened at the flood? Well, it was formed out of water and by water. And he established this vapor canopy. And then there is the separation of land and water. And it says, and he caused the land to rise up. Okay? It seems to be a picture of an ice-encased planet that the Holy Spirit, see you've got you've got Yahweh, Elohim, and Ruach, the Father, Son, and Spirit, all involved in this process, and he caused the land to rise up. The land was already there. Okay? Everything else from the sun and moon and all that was created later in this restoration. But this stuff was already already there. Now note that the restoration was needed because of a prior judgment which Satan denies, and he seeks to discredit by any means possible. He's got his own books written. He's got his own minions. Uh, there's a book out um, called the Urantia Book. I've mentioned before, I don't recommend it for light reading, but uh, it is a basically a book uh, uh, written and penned by the demons because they even put their name at the end of each chapter. And it's one of the most evil books that we've ever got. Back when I was a pastor in Bartlesville, some people came to me and said, we've got this guy down the street, and, and he's kind of doing a kind of a Bible study. And in this kind of Bible study, uh, he's using this, this book, and he'd like for us to attend. Well, being trying to be a good pastor, I went and checked it out from the library. And honestly, I didn't want it in my house after I got to reading it. Uh, how about a statement like, after Joseph and Mary had been married for three months, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in a dream and said, you're going to be with child. Now that's that was It's not in there anymore because the book is evolutionary and they change it. But it was in there when I read it back in the 80s. And it said that, what does that do about the virgin birth and the claims of the Bible and the claims of Christ? And what it does is take it and twist it a little right out of the mouth of the devil. It's just exactly what he does. And they he reveals what he wants through the demons. Demons reveal them through unbelievers. 
And believers sometimes are not smart enough to figure it out. That that's, that's what he's up to. So <clears throat> here he, he's going to discredit it, try to by any means, and I believe evolution is one of the big tools in his tool pouch. Anyone who chooses to willingly be willingly ignorant will miss a lot of great events in life. <clears throat> so if you want to say that I, I picked Hebrews 13.2 here because uh, this uh, it escapes their notice. It also comes up in Hebrews 13.2. And <clears throat> this is, uh, if you reject the reality of the angelic realm, then guess what can happen? Hebrews 13. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Hmm. I know a lot of us in here thought, well, maybe... Uh, Maybe we've had an encounter with an angel somewhere along the way. Used to be a show, Touched by an Angel. I don't go by that for my theology. But at least they were <laughs> saying it is possible that there is a spirit realm and they might be able to interact from, from time to time. But wouldn't that be something, to have an angel? I, th- I think we've, we've all got one or two guardian angels. Some of us may be more. <laughs> but but I th- when we get to meet him in eternity, I think it's going to be a great conversation that'll last for years. <laughs> I mean, that's like, you know, well, all, none of us have a sin nature, so we won't get offended when the angel goes, "You can't, I can't believe how stupid you were <laughs> in that, that set of circumstances." But anyway, his job is to protect. Now in verse six. He says, through which the world at that time was destroyed. Destroyed is the word apolumi. Now, this is a a clear use of this word apolumi. Many times it is translated as destroyed. But at its root is a loss of well-being, not a loss of existence or being. Because the earth was destroyed, it it had lost its well-being. And it needed a restoration, but it wasn't annihilated. And so it says it was it was uh, destroyed or ruined, being flooded with water. This, you know where we get the word cataclysm from? This word, kataklutzo, is the Greek word that's only used one time. Here it is. And a cataclysm actually is a flood. It's a massive flood. Being cataclysmed with water. So the environment before the flood established as a restoration from an earlier state was totally changed and ruined. Okay, So whatever it was prior to the flood, we don't know. Is this where Atlantis maybe was and Atlantis disappeared prior to the flood? Very possibly. We we can't say that definitively. But prior to the flood, we don't have a lot of information on such things. So all we can do is speculate, and it's fun to do that for sure. He says, <clears throat> so <clears throat> it needed another restoration after the flood of Noah to a functional state. It needed to be made where it could be usable. Uh, I, have, have any of you been to the Grand Canyon, South Rim, I love I love looking at the Grand Canyon. It's just a big hole 
in the in the ground. But I I love going there. But I I can't I can't stay stoic when I'm around it. Because especially as you walk up the South Rim and you see these neat little uh, bronze plaques that says this is where the canyon was 950 million years ago. And then you walk another 10 feet and amazingly you find another plaque which looks just like that one. It says this is where the canyon was 960 million years ago. And I'm thinking... <laughs> It's Satan and the onslaught of all this this uh, stuff. And if you understand the flood and what happened at the flood and you believe it's a complete global catastrophe, it can all happen in 370 days. Every bit of it. <clears throat> I've often wanted to go down into the bottom of it, not necessarily to ride the the uh, river raft down there at the bottom, but there is a, a archaeologist named Steve Austin, not the six million dollar man, but he's uh, he's three main areas of study in his uh, studies, and he's a good conservative evangelical Christian, and he studies Mount St. Helens, which he's found out you can form coal and and coal and oil in the matter of a few years instead of millions of years just by studying that. He studies the Dead Sea. So he has been in trenches 30 foot deep looking at the different layers of what's going on at the Dead Sea and the Grand Canyon. And he takes a river raft crew. I don't know if he still does or not, but he takes a crew down through there and points out all the rock strata and all this other stuff. And it's I would love to have done that, but that was not a possibility at the time but he's able to show that the, all this stuff can be cut at, at one time with enough water and with enough force he also went into all the carbon dating uh, mechanisms sent him <laughs> he sent him some um, rock strata from the same strata at the Grand Canyon sent him to four different locations and came back with four totally different answers as to how old they were now I don't have a lot of, uh, put a lot of credibility in a lot of that, that carbon-14 dating and stuff like that. Because once the, once the sample gets wet, it's no good. If there's a universal flood, <laughs> it all got wet. Anyway, this is a direct statement from Peter here that contradicts the uniformitarian theory promoted by scientists commonly known as evolution. Now, in the Foundations 2 book on the back, there's some more uh, description in there about evolution, the problems with evolution, why we, what are the proofs of God and things like that. And you can pick those up. <clears throat> commonly known as evolution. Now, Darwinian evolution assumes... Uh, I don't think they teach this in schools very often. I don't know. Well, I don't have a marker. I can point here. That won't help you, though. <coughs> Over on the left. Can you see that on the back? Good. Good. <coughs> Darwinian evolution is based on seven things. And these things are often not explained. 
to people as they go through high school and college. They are assumed to be true without analyzing the foundation of evolutionary viewpoint. And on the left, you see uniform. That's geological uniformitarianism. In other words, everything moves very slowly. The tectonic plates, etc., everything moves very slowly. So when it looks like very clearly that at one time all the land was one piece of land on planet Earth. And then suddenly it's, they started drifting, call it continental drift. And over the course of millions of years, that's how Australia got off by itself. That's how North America, South America drifted away from Europe and Africa. And, you know, we can put them all back together into one piece of land. They used to call it Pangaea. And many ancient uh, beliefs believe that there was one piece of land prior to the flood. Okay? So <clears throat> they believe it is just... Everything is moving. Everything continues as it was since the fathers fell asleep. The next one is survival of the fittest. Now, that's a big argument. Of course, they say, well, the fittest obviously survived. Or they wouldn't have been the fittest. But some of the most fit animals in the history of the, of, of the world didn't survive. They went extinct. And I, I kind of look at it and go, maybe God wanted them extinct. But anyway, survival of, of the fittest. Uh, and why, why, do, why did gnats survive? I guess they're, they're survivalists. Um, and then the, the next one, the third one, is environmental determinism. Now that means, you know what environmental determinism does? It removes volition from everybody because man is no more than an animal. Think about it. It's your environment that determines who and what you are. One of the great things about the scripture is no matter your environment, you can be everything you need to be in Jesus Christ. That's, that's the truth. It's not my environment. That, did it influence it? Yeah. But the environment does not determine it. And what neuroscientists, a lot of them are trying to prove right now is that you can't really make decisions. That you're just all a bundle of neurons and all that you do is respond to different situations. That you are not really a thinking being that can change the course of your life by starting to make different decisions yourself. And one thing they haven't been able to do yet is get someone under brain surgery to make a decision. They can make them move their foot, raise their hand. They can do all kinds of things. But make a decision, not part of it. Because we as Christians believe it's part of the soul. And the soul is the immaterial part of who you are. And right there in that soul is the ability to make decisions. And I think volition <clears throat> is at the heart of this battle between God and Satan. It's volition. The ability to decide. Because if you have the perfect ability to decide... You are responsible for all those decisions. I think Satan, being the liar that he is, would probably argue when God called him on the carpet, if you knew what I was going to do before you made me, omniscience, then by making me, you caused me to sin. I think that would be an argument. Because he... He doesn't play fair, and I think that'd be the, one of the arguments. And I, I think God said, okay, I'll show you. 
I'm going to make a creature that is dumber than you are. You're full of wisdom, okay? I'm going to make one dumber, uglier, because you're, you're full of beauty. I'm going to make one that is, that is uh, uh, weaker. You can fly around, do all kinds of stuff. This one can't. It's going to be highly limited. I'm going to put them in a hostile environment. I'm actually going to put them with a problem on the inside and a problem on the outside. I'm going to show you over the course of time they can still choose for me. Because see, the way God does things is that that, that He says, you make decisions. Let us make man our own image. What is that about? God fully has volition. He chooses. He does what he chooses to do. He can could choose to do evil, but he does not choose to do evil because he has the power of choice. So he has he has made us to show Satan over the course of time that yeah, I'll put somebody in the most hostile awful environment that you ever imagined and that they've got a sin nature that you would deem incorrigible. And I will show you that they can still come to me. Every mouth shall be shut and every knee shall bow. So <clears throat> environmental determinism, does it affect us? Yes. Now what does this do for climate change? Obviously, real hot weather makes us cranky. Real cold weather makes us cranky. Too much rain makes us cranky. <laughs> Do you think we can get cranky about anything? And obviously, we can. But climate change? Do you believe that mankind can actually destroy the earth? Or do you believe that the earth is in God's hands? I mean, it's all a test of faith. What do you believe? As stewards, we're not supposed to do stupid things to the earth. Obviously, we're not supposed to. But, <clears throat> who's in charge? And the devil will do anything he can do to get your eyes off of God and onto your circumstances, your environment. Natural selection is the fourth one. Uh, <clears throat> that basically the... The natural selection goes with survival of the fittest and whatever is it, it just if if they die out they they die out if they don't die out they don't die out it's just it's just all about again the environment and then there's comparative embryology this is a good example of how people can take the same data and arrive at two different conclusions because when you start looking at the embryos of different uh, animals, you start looking at uh, fish, you start looking at humans, you start looking at the different embry embryos as they grow and as they develop into whatever they're going to be, whatever kind they're going to be. As they do that, there's some similarities. Okay, so the evolutionist takes it and says that this proves that we climbed out of a primeval soup. And then out of this sludge, somehow all these DNA, RNA, all these proteins and everything came together. And somewhere there was a little trigger spark of life somewhere. 
and that that thing became a living being. Now, Christian looks at that and goes, that's cool. Same creator. Same designer. He's showing us that he's behind the whole thing. If it involves life, he's the one that put it here. So why are we going to look around and say that that, that's all different? And then missing links. I just love the one on missing links. Missing links is, you know, and the thing is they're still missing they're gone. How did we get from, from, from a little embryo that climbed out of the primeval soup and it finally, uh, uh, Dr., I think it was Criswell, did a great sermon on this. He said, here's this little creature that climbed out of this primeval soup. And he said he found out because he had a wart that if he put this wart in just the right place, he could move along. And out of that, he developed a leg. And Dr. Crizzle said, isn't it amazing <laughs> that another wart developed <laughs> in just the right spot <laughs> on the other side of the body, and then suddenly we have legs. Isn't it amazing? Because how did an eye develop? Well, it was just a little red spot. See, on this little... This little amoeba that climbed out and has got two legs and it never talks about how it reproduces. But <laughs> it's got and it's got this red spot and so it turns the red spot toward the sun and an eye develops. He said, "Isn't it amazing <laughs> how there was another red spot <laughs> in just the right spot and there was two eyes?" It's a it's a brilliant satire. He says, you know, and this all comes about, he said, but you still don't have Darwinian evolution. If you have this little creature that suddenly jumps species, that's Darwinian evolution. It's like you have an old jalopy in your yard, which I know none of you use that for decoration anymore. But <clears throat> you have this thing, and suddenly of its own accord, it just starts changing overnight. And it starts changing, and the next thing you know, this old jalopy turns into a cord automobile, and it's all nice, and it's like a, the the chrome headers, and and it just, it, but you still don't have evolution unless it turns into an airplane. That's what evolutionists would have you believe. Now, <clears throat> the missing links. You've all seen the pictures of you know the monkeys. And then how they how they evolve through those different stages. I don't think I brought a picture of that. Nope. But those monkeys, now they evolve through the different stage, stages till they become a man. I looked for those the other day and they, they have all those stages. But now they have a, a man who is now sitting at a desk with a computer and, and all this, this other stuff. But, <clears throat> you know, all those links between monkey and man are non-existent. The ones that they have tried to, to proclaim, one of them turned out to be the jawbone of a pig. Okay, It's a fraud. And so they have tried to proclaim that, but those missing links are still missing. I had an argument with a young man, fine young man, that they ended up getting brainwashed by the evolutionary theory. And I said, where is the 
uh, we were talking about missing links. He said, we have, this, we have the fossil record, the skeletal record. I said, oh, because I knew I had him. I said, uh, would you send me the links <laughs> of where the fossils are located in the fossil record that are missing? I'm still waiting because they're still missing. They don't have them. It is all pure conjecture. And now anymore, kids go off to college and they tell them it's fact that they've got all of the all of the fossils and everything, and they don't. So <clears throat> Satan's alive and well on planet Earth. Now right at the bottom of this, the, the, the superstructure doesn't make any difference without the bottom. You have to have a biological me- mechanism to jump from specie to specie. For, uh, for, a, a, for a dog to become a hippopotamus, you have to have a, a sub-mechanism that says that they can go from one species to another species. And nobody's got that. When God made these animals, and you read in chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, he made them according to their kind. The kind, the word for kind is mina. And it is does not fit any of our taxonomic um, uh, schedules or the way we do. We have, you know, the, the kingdom. I never can remember all the sequence. But we have, you know, species, genus, and all this other stuff. It won't fit any of what we've got. But it is called a kind. So when God made them, and he took them by kinds into the ark. He didn't have to take 40,000 different dogs. Two. And out of that, after the flood, were the genetics of dogs, and that's where all the dogs came from. That's the same thing with camels. All he had to do was take two. So guess what? All the animals could easily fit into that giant ship that Noah built because it was based on kinds, not species. I think we got 50,000 species of mosquito. You know, so kind of makes you wonder if he took any of those. He could have left them off. Anyway, according to God's word, the present earth is now the result of a catastrophe of global proportions. That's what he's saying. That's what was affirmed in... Genesis 6 through 8, it's what's affirmed here by Peter uh, uh, later on in 2 Peter 3. Some have tried to merge catastrophism and uniformitarianism into a new theory known as catastrophic evolution. And this was done back in the 80s, early 80s, by a guy named Emanuel Velikovsky. <clears throat> Velikovsky wrote some Really good books, did some great things with dating, identifying the sea peoples, etc. But he did a tremendous book on the flood. And at the flood, he documented a global flood as well as anybody as I've ever seen do it. He, he went to different parts of the earth He went and showed it was a global catastrophe all at once. Not a local flood in the area of the Black Sea that picked up Moses and his rowboat and they managed to survive for a little bit. Wasn't that at all. It was a global flood and he documented that and then he got to the last chapter and he said, 
This is where evolution took place. So he was still an evolutionist, but not a uniformitarian. So he said that evolution took place by catastrophe. And it gained quite a following. They had a museum, I think, up in Hutchinson, Kansas at one time uh, for catastrophic evolution. But there's still no biological mechanism that he provides that permits, uh, permits a creature to jump species. So, the historical flood of water. Now, in verse 7, he says, but... This is a mild adversative, and he, it's an expansion of escapes their notice from verse 6. The present, the noon, the Greek noon, it's the now, the one since the flood. The present heavens and earth by his word. I love this. By his word. Who is the living word? In the beginning was the word. By his word. It's the same word that formed the heavens and the earth. He says, are being reserved for fire. This is the present passive participle of Tereo, one that you would expect to find. Because it's saying that's an ongoing thing that's going on right now. Tereo means to guard because you see it as valuable. And it, it's awaiting a specific time. It's being reserved, guarded, kept for fire. Um, kept, are being reserved for fire, kept for, and it's not the day of judgment. I didn't get that changed in your corrected translation. It's a day of judgment. There is no definite article in this verse. Now there is a definite article the day of judgment coming up in verse 10 and we're going to take a look at that further when we get to verse 10 kept for a day of judgment judgment's the word crisis we can bring it in as crisis crisis is time to make it a decision time he says for the for a day of judgment and destruction this is apolia it's a noun form close to apolumi the word we just saw for ruination of ungodly men. Asebes, used nine times, is a word that means people without reverence. A means no. Sebea is a word that means reverence. They have no reverence, i.e. for God. So, <clears throat> there is a time, and um, I don't know if I'd get in the summary or not, but ungodly people who reject God's word since they've rejected God's judgment in history, would logically also reject his judgment concerning the future. Now, they're going to blame him for everything. They're going to finally admit that he exists, although while saying that he doesn't exist, they're going to say that he does exist because all the plagues that come on the earth during the tribulation in Revelation 16, it says, they blaspheme the God of the heaven. Now, that's the God we know. They, they're upset with him. I think they're going to twist the tribulational stuff around, and quite obviously, since they found these little, these little aliens down in Peru, 
that look like little statues to me. But they found those things down there. Obviously, the aliens came and took us all away. They're already getting getting ready to explain away the rapture. Um, they don't think it'll happen, but just in case it does, they have a insurance policy, if you will, that they're going to explain how all these people disappeared all at one time. And um, I, I'm waiting for them to try to figure it out. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for your mercy, your love, your grace, all your blessings, all your tests. Just thank you for the privilege of being able to come together here in a free country and open up your word and, again, be fascinated by it. Father, I pray that, that your hand will be upon us. Help us to remember what we've learned and use it wisely. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.